because we're going to call some big names such as renal failure, nephrotic syndrome and so on today. So we have to know the fundamentals before we start applying the clinical aspect to the kidney. Alright, so I guess I will switch the pointer. Okay. Alright, so let us start. Um, as always, we're going to start with the clicker question. Oops, let me see if I have... Uh, reset my session. Just one second. I guess it's reset. Okay. Alright, so get your clickers ready for the first question. This is, uh, of course, participation point. Alright, so what, what are the cells at the pointer? What do you call them? These are the podocytes, right? So are they, are they part of parietal or visceral layer? Visceral layer. Do they have cytoplasm that has fenestrations? Those are the endothelial cells we talked about. They do have filtration slits. Sorry? Um, can you hear me now? Yeah, can you hear me now? Hello. So they do have filtration slits formed by the interdigitation of the food processes called the pedicels. So they have a filtration diaphragm. And who does this job? Phagocytosis of the proteins that are trapped. Mesangial cells, intraglomerular mesangial cells. And the endothelial cells will do these functions. So you must know the functions of the various cells in the renal corpuscle because you will be studying about 25 different types of diseases when you go to pathology just on the renal corpuscle. Okay? So you have to know the anatomy, embryology, histology of it thoroughly. Of course, physiology comes in along with it. All right? So let us start the clinical lecture. So as I said, we should know what is normal before we step into what is abnormal. You find this is too long? Okay, so we have the kidney, capsule, cortex, medulla. In the medulla we have the pyramids, and these are the columns of Burton. And the blood supply, important here, interlobar arteries pass here become arcuate interlobular in this region. Interlobular gives off branches and then we have to know the different types of circulation for cortical nephrons and juxtamedullary nephrons and eventually the venous drainage. Not to forget the vasa recta and the part they play in countercurrent mechanism. So let us recap this information about the JAG apparatus which is made up of the macular denser, the lacy cells or extraglomerular mesangial cells, and the modified afferent uh, arterial smooth muscle cells called the JG cells. So these make up the JG apparatus, and whenever there is low sodium, these will come into play, releasing renin. And once the blood volume reaches normal and these arterioles expand, then the 
automatically the uh, feedback cuts off. So this is again to remind ourselves about the filtration barrier and the glomerular filtration membrane that is formed by endothelial cells and epithelial cells. When I say epithelial cells, what do they refer to? The podocytes, okay, which are epithelial cells and these are endothelial cells. So in this diagram, that's what is shown here. But please note, this is a bit wrong here because normally the same podocyte does not interdigitate. So the pericells from adjacent podocytes will interdigitate to form the filtration slits and the diaphragm between them. Okay, So that is because of the embryological origin. So that is how they originate and they interdigitate. What kind of uh, capillaries are these? Which type? Fenestrated capillaries, okay, very important. All right, so everybody remembers these? So are we ready to step into the clinical part? All right. Now, let me show you one thing before we go. Uh, in the diagram, you can see a huge space, isn't it, Bowman space? But in reality, remember that the space is so limited between the glomerular capillaries and the Bowman uh, parietal layer, okay? So when we talk about increased vascularity or increased cellularity within this area, that means it's going to like occlude this entire space, giving very little space for filtration. So we must have that in mind. So let us go to the lecture outline. So these are the things we will cover in today's lecture. Now this is just the tip of the iceberg because the renal chapter is very complicated when you go to pathology and you will see several diseases on each of these um, headings. Okay, So um, just, I'm just using just two or three examples just to give you a little idea how to apply the normal to the abnormal. So renal diseases or kidney diseases can be classified as those affecting the glomerulus, that is a part of renal corpuscle, or they can affect the tubules and the interstitium, and they can affect the blood vessels, starting from interlobar all the way to afferent and efferent arterioles. Okay? Now what we see here is vasculitis, means what? The blood vessels can be inflamed due to conditions, vasculitis, which itself is a big chapter in pathology. Okay? Now, these that are highlighted in green are examples that we will see. So, therefore, we are using some of them to identify various tubules. So, these tubules should come back to your memory and we can apply these concepts on them. Okay? So, we have immunological diseases that can affect the glomerulus or we can say the basement membrane part of it. Or they could be systemic diseases such as diabetes or amyloidosis that can affect the glomerulus. Now, tubules and the interstitium, most commonly they are affected by toxins, medication, and infections and ischemia. We will see how that happens. And blood vessels are affected by hypertension and diabetes. So that is why we normally ask people to watch out for these two conditions and treatment is essential. So we avoid kidney damage in these two conditions. So let us go to the mechanisms of injury, how the glomerular membranes can be damaged, and how the tubules can be damaged. So glomerular disease, as I mentioned, mainly are involved in immunologically mediated diseases, whereas tubulointestitial damage can be caused by toxins or bacteria and so on. We call it infectious agent. So these will destroy the tubules, and these can destroy glomerulus. So what does this mean? When the glomerulus is affected, it can affect the tubular functions. And if the tubules are affected, then in turn, retrograde, they're going to affect the glomerular filtration rate. Okay? So either way, the kidney gets damaged. And any of these, as these uh, structures are damaged, then they cannot function to the max. So therefore, you call that renal failure, renal failure. So how this damage occurs is by two mechanisms. One is the antigen-antibody complexes that are circulating in the blood. They can get deposited in the glomerular filtration membrane. And the second mechanism is that the antigens are deposited in the membrane and antibodies are formed against it in that location. So those are two mechanisms. 
And no matter how these are formed in that region, they're going to call in the leukocytic cells to that region because we learned in inflammation chapter, once we have antigen-antibody complexes, what cells will come into play? The eosinophils and so on will come down to phagocytize those uh, complexes. So leukocytes will come down to that region and they can produce cytokines that cause proliferation of endothelial cells, mesangial cells, and epithelial cells in that region. Okay, so that is highlighted. So that is the basis of most of the renal or glomerular diseases. So how do we identify these antigen-antibody complexes? We can use fluorescent antibodies. You can tag fluorescent materials to antibodies and you direct them against that particular antigen inside and they can be uh, linked and they can be studied under immunofluorescence technique. So the first one is the membranous glomerulonephritis. So itis means what? Inflammation. So membranous means the glomerular filtration membrane of the glomerulus. So this is the condition that involves inflammation of the basement membrane, the glomerular membrane. So normally we start off with how the patients are going to present, right? But in this case, we are going reverse condition. So here we can see how this patient's feet is swollen. What do you call this condition? Edema, right? Pedal edema, and especially you have pitting edema. So this is classical of renal origin. And they can also have periorbital puffiness. That is also renal in origin. So if somebody had had infections such as syphilis or hepatitis B, malaria, these causative organisms becomes the antigen and the body produces antibodies to these antigens. So they will be circulating in the blood and they will get deposited in the basement membrane and they're going to cause a series of effects that we are going to see soon. So not only infections, malignancies of the lungs and colon can cause that. Autoimmune diseases such as systemic lupus erythematosus can cause that. Rheumatoid arthritis also autoimmune. And some drugs when exposed to can cause damage to the glomerular basement membrane. So let us see how this damage occurs. So what we see here, let us take this picture, okay, first. So we have endothelial cells with fenestrations, and these are epithelial cells. So what I mean by epithelial is podocytes, okay? So you can see these are taken from pathology textbooks. So pathology will refer the podocytes as epithelial cells, and any deposit under these cells as sub-epithelial deposition of antigen-antibody complexes. But in this image, what we can see is the filtration barrier or glomerulus sorry, membranous, um, glomerular basement membrane, okay? So that is what we are looking at over here. So here are epithelial cells or the podocytes, and here are the antigens. So this antigen can be anything that I mentioned before, or they can be bacteria, they could be viruses, or they can be parasitic organisms, and those that causes syphilis is named here, okay? Is right here. So those antigens can get deposited in the sub-epithelial region and you can see how the body produces antibodies against this antigen and they form these complexes under this epithelium. So now what we have is sub-epithelial sub immune complexes. So what was nice and functioning good, the glomerular basement membrane has become thickened. Do we all agree? So we have thickened basement membrane. Would the filtration be normal across this barrier? It'll be reduced initially, and we will see what happens to that in the next stage. Okay, so that is what is written here as sub-epithelial deposits of antigen-antibody complexes. So what happened? Um, right, what happens here? We have a normal glomerular basement membrane again so these cells here are endothelial cells and these are the podocytes or the epithelial cells can we all appreciate the food processes of the podocytes yeah these are the pedicels but as we go along in the next 
in this next diagram, you can see these black ones are the antigen-antibody complexes that get deposited under the podocytes. And look at the food process. Can you see they have disappeared? So this is what is called effacement, means flattening and disappearing of the food process. So once the food processes disappear, that means the filtration, the, the slits will be abnormal, right? So they get flattened, and you can see how the glomerular basement membrane gets thickened because of these deposits, okay? So it is progressive in this diagram, and it takes over a period of time to develop in each of those million kidney, uh, nephrons in the kidney. So disease does not manifest over, over a day or two, but it takes over a couple of months to few years to manifest as renal failure. So let us go uh, in the next slide and look at what happens to this basement membrane. So these deposits, as I mentioned before, once you have antigen-antibody complexes, they're going to produce some proteases that are produced by the eosinophils and so on, those cells that come to this region. And these proteases, as we learned in the inflammation chapter, proteases means those that break down the proteins. So they break down the proteins of glomerular basement membrane, and they will cause disruption of this membrane. So what happens to this membrane? Now it becomes leaky. So we said that there are certain molecules of certain diameter or molecular weight that can pass through the filtration barrier. But now, because of the many disruptions, larger molecules like albumin will start passing through these perforations. So therefore, you will find albumin in the urine, and you call that proteinuria. So it occurs in large amounts, so you call it massive proteinuria. And when the proteins escape out of the blood into the urine, what will happen to the protein content within the blood? It becomes less. So you call it hypoalbuminemia, means refers to the blood here. Okay? And once there is decreased amount of albumin in the blood, then the water holding capacity is gone. So the tissue will move to extracellular area causing edema. So that is a mechanism how we develop edema in the body. So when there is generalized swelling of the body, you call this uh, anasarca. Anasarca means generalized swelling of the body. If it is limited to the feet, you call it pedal edema. So here we can see a thickening of the basement membrane. So how do we know this is thickened? Only when you know the normal histology, we will be able to appreciate something that is thickened. So more you look at normal renal corpuscles, more you will be able to appreciate something that is abnormal. So there is thickening of basement membrane. And here we can see that wherever the thickening has occurred, that is where the antigen-antibody complexes are and we can identify them by using immunofluorescence, okay? So we can see the thickened basement membrane. And here, silver salts are used. So this is called the Jones technique, and we can see or identify the antigen-antibody complexes in the basement membrane. So you will see more of these images in pathology. And when you look at it, you will be able to identify, okay, this involves the basement membrane, because you can see this is where they will be, right? So putting everything together, so thickening of the basement membrane, this is the age limit when this disease can manifest. And other conditions can also result in similar features. So that is in uh, general classified as membranous nephropathies. Okay, so all these are membranous nephropathies. Means they can cause damage to glomerular basement membrane. So when the cause is known, then you call it secondary. But if the cause is unknown, you call it primary or idiopathic, so these changes. So now, this is one of the major causes for nephrotic syndrome. So what do you mean by nephrotic syndrome? It's characterized by massive proteinuria and hypoalbuminemia, as we ex explained before, generalized edema, the blood contains abundant lipids, hyperlipidemia, and lipids also spill into the urine, containing lipid urea. So all these are symptoms of nephrotic syndrome. 
So membranous glomerulonephritis leads to nephrotic syndrome, okay? So eventually when this happens over a long period of time, it goes into a condition called renal failure. So the next one is IgA nephropathy. So let us jump into this image first and what is striking to you? So this happens only after labs you will be able to appreciate it because you have seen many slides of normal renal corpuscle. But for me, at a glance, it looks like there is more cells in the renal corpuscle than normal. Can we all agree? So it is hypercellular. Whereas in the previous condition, let us go back. Is it hypercellular? So it is kind of normal, but thickened basement membrane. But if you look at this, the basement membrane is normal, but the cells have proliferated. So what cells will proliferate? endothelial cells, epithelial cells, and mesangial cells. So all these proliferate to create this enlargement of the renal corpuscle. So that is what occurs right here. So when these changes occur, they cause damage to the small capillaries within this region. And so the erythrocytes will start leaking into the urine. And so this patient will manifest with hematuria. Hematuria means? blood in the urine. Normally this affects younger age group and especially when they have a viral illness like a day or two days before. Okay, So when, when uh, a child or a young individual they come with hematuria, we should always ask if they have had any kind of respiratory illness or GI infection, Okay, gastroenteritis. So those can trigger these kind of deposits in the mesangium and they can cause proliferation of three types of cells causing massive enlargement with hypercellularity. So that's what leads to hematuria. All right, so IgA nephropathy, enlarged hypercellular glomerulus, classical. In this case, we have hyperplasia of epithelium and endothelium. And inflammatory cells will, of course, be there because we have the antigens deposited here. And damage to the blood vessels causes hematuria. So here the immunofluorescence shows you deposition of those IgA antibodies in the mesangium. Okay? We can see here these are the glomerular basement membrane, but these are cells within them called mesangial cells. So this is in the mesangium. So let us compare and contrast the normal. Can we see normal cellularity and normal basement membrane? Here we can see increased cellularity. So one look at it, you know that there is IgA nephropathy. The next one is polycystic kidney disease, or we can say polycystic kidney disease, right, PKD. So there are two basic divisions. One is congenital, the other is acquired. So acquired occurs due to scarring of kidney in the end stage, right? Somebody who had dialysis repeatedly and so on, that is the acquired category. But these are congenital. One is recessive and one is dominant category, right? So here, what happens is that um, we have a recessive inheritance of this disease where the proteins that are altered are the fibrocystin. So these are associated with cells in the collecting tubules that have primary cilium. Okay? Remember yesterday's lecture, we saw primary cilium in the collecting ducts. So they will be affected and therefore you can see how the tubules get dilated. Okay? You can see how there is radial dilatation of these collecting ducts. And even the other ducts doesn't look, uh, tubules do not look normal here. Okay? So this kind of dilatation starts occurring at, um, in utero. And so the child is born with these dilated tubules and in a few months they actually die because of renal failure, right? So that is autosomal recessive one. It affects early in life and it is about 1 in 25,000 births you see this condition. Whereas autosomal dominant is the adult variety. So it can take uh, some time to manifest and they manifest between 30 to 50 years of age. So most times you do not recognize them until it enlarges to a, such a large amount that you have a swelling in the renal area, right? So in the flank, we call it. 
and they might have blood in the urine because blood leaks into these tubules and they have hematuria. Or they can just have some pain in the renal angle, flank pain. So those will be the symptoms they come with. And accidentally, you can actually diagnose a polycystic kidney. But over a period of time, eventually they will go into renal failure. But they do live for a little longer time. So the protein that is affected here again is polycystine, but these also involve the collecting ducts. So these are all dilated collecting ducts, and they can be filled with fluid sometimes, and they project out as multiple blebs on the surface of the kidney. So this is what is called polycystic kidney disease. So here we can call it adult type, that is the dominant type, okay? Because remember the recessive, they die pretty early. So what is classical in this image? From what we learned yesterday, we can see normal renal corpuscles. We all agree, yeah? But all the tubules are dilated. So when these tubules are dilated, do you think they are functioning normal? No. So progressively, they go in for renal failure. So they live up to 40, 50 years, pretty okay. Slowly they go in for renal failure, okay? Now they can also present with hypertension and cardiac anomalies. Because of congenital anomalies, they can have floppy valve syndrome and so on. All right, so that is PKD. Then we'll go on to tubular and interstitial injury. So we have to think of all the tubules, proximal, distal, convoluted tubules, loop of Henle, and we're looking at interstitium. So what are the substances that can cause injury to those tubular epithelial cells? Some of the medications such as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs iodine-containing contrast agents. So if we need to look at some specific structures, we do contrast medium and we do CT scans. So those can cause kidney damage and patients can go into renal failure just because of that. Metals, so those who are working in like lead factory, batteries, and all those, you know, uh, children exposed to lead, so lead, gold, copper, all these are metals that can cause destruction of proximal convoluted tubule. So especially textbooks talk about lead poisoning and mercury poisoning. They can affect the proximal convoluted tubules to a large extent. And some other toxins and then we see infections that can cause the destruction of the tubules. So one of the leading causes is hypovolemic shock. Okay, hypovolemia means what? Decrease in the blood flow. So decreased blood flow to the kidneys and they cause ischemia to the tubules. That is, peritubular capillary network will be affected, causing destruction of the tubules. So let us see how the tubules are going to look if they are being affected by these metals. So now again, um, can we recognize this to be past convoluta? Does it look anything like what we saw yesterday? So yesterday we saw multiple tubules. How did they look? With nice cuboidal cells, dirty lumen. You remember that? Yeah. What do we see here now? We see that the tubules are dilated. Do you have nice cuboidal cells with microvilli? No, all the brush border is lost. So all the tubular cells are destroyed because of the toxins and therefore they cannot do their function. All of us recall what are the functions of proximal tubule? Reabsorption of almost 65% of the filtrate, right? 100% of glucose and all that. So all that function will be lost and you can just see some interstitium here. So the main cause here is acute ischemia due to hypotension. So that is, um, all these are proximal convoluted tubules. Now, most of these images I want to mention are taken from the Vita's basic pathology. So you should be having this textbook in chapter two. You will be seeing all these images, okay? Whatever I'm saying comes from there. All right, so here we have more um, examples. Some of them are out of the book. Some of them are from the textbook to explain the concepts. So here we have proximal convoluted tubules, but definitely we can see the microvilli have been lost cells have become flattened, 
and you can see how the epithelial cells have become necrotic and they are being discharged into the lumen of these tubules. Some of them try to recover but they have flattened epithelium. They cannot function like normal cells. So eventually they will go in for what condition? Renal failure. Okay, renal failure. So that is kind of an easy terminology for us to understand that all this tubules, renal corpuscle and the renal tubules, when they do not function, they go in for failure of that function we call renal failure. So what is the main function of kidney? Is to form the urine, isn't it? So if the urine is not formed, you call it anuria. If it is formed in a smaller amount, you call it oliguria. When they pass a large amount of urine, you call it polyuria. So when you have renal failure, you have anuria or oliguria. So that's what happens. And eventually you have to put the patient on dialysis or you get renal transplant. So let us go to uh, diabetes. What diabetes does to the kidney? So we are looking at cellular level. So even before we reach this level of renal corpuscle, we have to start with interlobar arteries, arcuate arteries, interlobular arteries, afferent and efferent arterioles. So all these arteries, arteries are being affected in the glomerulosclerosis. What does the word sclerosis mean? Scarring, okay? Scarring of the tissue is called sclerosis and glomerulosis undergoes sclerotic change because of diabetes. So what happens in diabetes mellitus? There is increased amount of blood sugars. So they will cause changes in the metabolic pathways of the cells and they will cause secretion of substance that is hyaline in nature. When I say hyaline, they are like glassy and homogeneous. Can you see that? So these glassy and homogeneous substances are secreted in the mesangium. So that is in between the capillaries in this region. So this is called hyalinization, right? And if you look at the arteries on the outside, I think in the next image you have one, there will be thickening of the arterial wall. There is sclerosis of them as well as hyalinization, okay? So here in the mesangial matrix, you have something looking like a nodule, isn't it? So this is called nodular, it can occur segmentally, and these are called the Kimmel-Steele-Wilson nodules. These are characteristic of diabetic glomerulosclerosis. So you will come across that later. You won't ask your questions on this in this exam, but just know that if the entire glomerulus is filled with these kind of substances, now can the glomerulus function normally? Because all these will take up the normal space and therefore they cannot function normal. Eventually this kidney will go into renal failure. So diabetes changes starts with the blood vessels, the arterioles and the mesangium and it goes on progressively affecting the rest of the entire kidney, all right? So diabetics, if not treated, eventually will go for renal failure and then you know the complications, okay? Move to chronic renal failure. Now acute is something that happens immediately. That will be like toxins, lead, mercury poisoning and so on can result in acute changes. So the metabolic pathways, I think you will talk about in biochemistry, what happens in these disease. So I will not go into detail about that. Here we have more um, images to show you the changes that occur in the renal corpuscle. So here we can see the glomerulus, and can you see the hyalinization? You know, in some books they call it sclerosis over here, and some books call it hyalinization. So both, some books, you know, they interchangeably call that. But definitely you can see the thickening or the hyaline material that is being collected in the mesangium and we call this the Kimmel-Steele-Wilson nodules, characteristic in this disease. All right, so these are beautiful pictures and you're going to see them again when you go to pathology. Okay? Now, if anybody is diabetic in your home, right, or your neighbors or anybody for that matter whom you know, 
this picture should come to your mind and you should be able to advise them to get treated for diabetes. So if they are not getting treated, you can see how the glomerular basement membrane is going to get thickened and eventually how the filtration is going to be affected and how they will go into renal failure in, in the long run, okay, chronic. So this is the compare and contrast of a normal um, TEM of glomerular basement membrane and these are the changes, hyalinization that we can see uh, or sclerosis that can be seen in diabetic conditions, okay, diabetic glomerulosclerosis. Now we'll go on to the interstitial injury. So we saw the tubular, now we go on to interstitium. Now remember that we called all this area that was stained with trichrome, yeah, all this we called as interstitium because these were the renal corpuscles and these are the convoluted tubules. So what do you see in the interstitium? Can we all see purple cells, cell bodies? Yeah, all of us. So what are these cells? N, neutrophils. So let's go back to the inflammation chapter and the movement of these neutrophils into the connective tissue. Remember that? What, what are the um, components of the blood will follow the neutrophils? Fibrin and plasma, right? Fluid. So all this will form the exudate. You remember the term exudate? Yeah, okay. You're going to see that in BSEA exam, right? Cumulative. So all exudate is going to be found in this region if the bacteria here is pyogenic, right? Pyogenic means what? Pus forming. So acute separative bacterial infection is pretty common occurring in the kidney. So when does that happen? So normally in the urethra you might have some bacteria and they might climb up to the bladder all the way from the ureter into the kidney. So they go to the interstitium. So that is how they ascend. We call that ascending infection. And that is also common with persons with benign prostatic hypertrophy because of constriction of the prostatic urethra or in pregnancy where there is compression of the urethra. So the bacteria will ascend up to cause recurrent urinary tract infections and they will cause ascending um, bacteria to get into the kidneys and they affect the interstitium part, okay? So this indicates a lot of inflammatory cells in the, um, in the interstitium. So eventually, the inflammation spreads to the glomerulus and the tubules and they will start forming pus within the tubules. Can you see? These are all the neutrophils that are combating the antigens and you can see them within the tubules. And also the epithelial cells have been destroyed. See, you can see the epithelial cells have swollen and they are disintegrating. And those are all effects of inflammation. So we have just example of two bacteria, E. coli and Proteus, that can cause this kind of massive disruption of the normal architecture of the kidney. So we can see large amount of polymorphs right here. Now this happens over and over. It goes into a chronic state. And then what happens to all the glomerulus? They get sclerosed, sclerosed. Now let us look at this image, right? Do we see this is a renal corpuscle? Can we see one here and one here? Now what happened to these? These were all glomeruli, right? These were all renal corpuscle, but we cannot identify them as these, right? What has happened to them? They've undergone sclerosis, scarring, because of repeated infection and healing again and again. So that's what happens over a period of time. And now we call it chronic pyelonephritis, okay? So this is an acute stage and this is in chronic stage. And eventually all the tissue will get destroyed and you have some casts, the urine casts are present within the tubules and they will lead to renal failure again. So pyelonephritis means they form pus in the kidneys. So what will this, the patient present with? They will be passing pus in the urine. Yeah? So that is how the urine will look. And, and, and another condition is when they, they go for recurrent catheterization. Do you know what that means? To pass a small catheter through the urethra to drain the 
bladder, okay, whenever there is um, probably prostatic enlargement causing obstruction. So repeated catheterization can also introduce bacteria higher up and they go into the kidneys. So you can see how the kidneys are swollen and they're filled so much with pus right here. They can see them as pustules. So this is what acute pyelonephritis looks like, okay, swollen kidney with pus. Now the blood pressure um, is a big topic for you in physiology and what maintains the blood pressure is cardiac output and peripheral resistance. Okay, so this is actually a very nice slide that combines all the factors that maintain normal blood pressure in the body. Now we have only highlighted these two because we have covered them in the renal lecture. So one is re retention of sodium. So when there is retention of sodium, there is retention of water that leads to adequate blood volume. So we learned that with aldosterone effect on the kidney. Which part of the kidney? Where did the aldosterone receptors? In the connecting tubule and collecting duct, okay? And the next one is angiotensin II that can cause vasoconstriction. So these two factors, we contribute towards the blood pressure and we link them to the kidney, right? So rest of them you will study eventually in physio. So let us go to the JG apparatus and we're going to focus on the RAS cascade. And uh, these are two just examples that we have seen or we can correlate how there is hypertension because of these uh, two factors, right? So increased blood pressure. So the, the, the image here is anything that increases is going to result in increased blood pressure. We call it hypertension. So we are talking about that here. So the renal causes of hypertension are many and few have been written here. And we can talk about these two conditions right here. Okay. Now we already talked about glomerulonephritis and how there is leakage of protein and all that. And we will go to the renal artery stenosis. So let us recap this information of how JG apparatus works. So here we have the macular denser. And macular denser is what? It's an osmo receptor. It's going to sense the change in the sodium. It's going to pass on the message through the extraglomerular mesangial cells to the JG cells. What are the JG cells? Smooth muscle cells of afferent arterioles. And they will store renin and they are released, okay? So the cascade, we, we do know, if you want to go through it one more time, they convert angiotensinogen to angiotensin 1, which is converted in the pulmonary capillaries to angiotensin 2, which will affect in two ways, one direct vasoconstriction, the other is by acting on adrenal cortex, releasing aldosterone, which acts in the collecting tubule and the collecting duct to reabsorb sodium, Water follows sodium and these are absorbed into the blood vessels and they will increase blood volume and return it back to normal. So this cascade only starts when there is decreased sodium content, otherwise decreased blood volume. So where does this blood volume link in this chapter? Is because of renal artery stenosis. So we learned that renal arteries are the main arterial feed for the kidneys, and if there is arterial stenosis, stenosis means, stenosis means narrowing, isn't it? So most times the narrowing occurs due to atherosclerosis. So we can see this large atherosclerotic plaque that has developed over the years, and it has caused narrowing of the lumen of the renal artery, resulting in decreased blood flow to the kidney. But the kidney does not know why there is decreased amount of blood, right? So it is going to sense the low sodium content and it is going to cause more and more sodium reabsorption along the cascade. So that results in hypertension. So this is one of the causes for hypertension in um, the patient. So whenever a patient comes to you with hypertension, we have to rule out so many other causes before you establish that particular reason, okay? So here is an angiogram, and we can see how a dye is being injected, and you can see the stenotic part of the renal artery due to atherosclerosis. We won't go into the treatment part, okay? So now we'll go on to the hypertension changes, and here we can um, recognize a renal corpuscle, which is looking normal, and these are the tubules here, 
But if you look at arterioles, what is happening to the arterioles? The walls are thickened and you can see hyalinization. Again, hyaline material is deposited, causing thickening and narrowing of the lumen, resulting in lesser flow and resulting in hypertension. Okay, So those are hypertensive changes and we saw the diabetic changes before. And the next concept here is the renal infarct, okay, acute and um, chronic renal infarct. What does infarction mean? Death of tissue, right? So most commonly, um, okay, let us go to this picture first, right? Now what we have here, do we all recognize this to be kidney, first thing? Yeah, okay, why do we, rec why do we say this is kidney? Because we see renal corpuscles. Can we see in the tubules right here around we have reddish appearance of peritubular capillaries? Yeah, we have blood in all the capillaries. Can we see that? Now what is happening to this area that I'm outlining? Can you see that it is pale in appearance? That is because of ischemia or early infarction. So this entire segment has been infarcted, probably because of a thrombus. Right? We just traveled and we call it embolus. So why only this segment has been affected and why not all of them? Concept of end arteries, okay? So that is how uh, we, we emphasized that yesterday and we can see what happens here, okay? Segmental ischemia or infarction. So there will be death of all these and we apply inflammation chapter again. Once the death of cells occur, it's followed by healing, sclerosis. So therefore, this entire area has undergone ischemic death and they have been replaced by scar tissue and you call it sclerotic tissue, right? So this is the area that has undergone sclerotic change. So this is late renal infarct. Common causes thrombus. That has traveled from probably the heart and they go into circulation and affect the renal artery. So now we'll go and look at a renal cell carcinoma. So I don't want you to get all worked up with too much information on renal cell carcinoma. I just want you to identify cells that look a bit abnormal inside the kidney from normal that we have looked at, right? So most times they come with blood in the urine, flank pain and abdominal mass. Now if a mass is so small, they don't really present with a mass, they wouldn't know that, right? but definitely they may come with hematuria and flank pain. So here we can see a CT scan with the kidney showing a beautiful tumor, right? Yeah, rounded tumor. And we're going to see how it looks under microscope, okay? Um, these are other symptoms they can present with. We won't go into detail of it. All right, so here is um, a tumor within the kidney, and here we have increase in the size and there is slow metastasis to the nearby structures and there is distant organ metastasis. So these are all stages of renal cell carcinoma and, and um, they arise from the renal tubules, right? That's why we call carcinoma. What is the definition of carcinoma? Tumor arising from epithelial cell origin, okay? So we're going to see that in the next image. So we can see a cut section of the kidney with definitely tumor in this region. So if we take a small piece of this and place under microscope, you're going to see something like this, right? Abnormal. So the next image I can show you. But what this slide says is that if you cut open a tumor, some of them might look reddish and cystic because of dilated tubules that are bleeding inside and definitely the cells are abnormal. Okay, beautiful. Now can we see the renal corpuscles and the normal tubules? And can we recognize this to be abnormal at this stage? So these are, this is clear cell renal cell carcinoma because these cells look clear in appearance, okay? So we won't ask you more on pathology questions, but just recognize that if you see a slide like this in the, in the kidney, you know that definitely it is abnormal, right? So we have an idea of how it looks. Now this is the urinary bladder. So you can see there are growths within the lumen and that has arisen from 
the epithelium, transitional epithelium. So you call it urothelium, yeah, urothelioma or transitional cell carcinoma. So that is what these are. You will see acute proliferation of epithelial cells that form branching um, or fungating appearance of it. So we'll cover one more pro one more concept on ADH, right? So we said that antidiuretic hormone is going to act on the connecting tubule and collecting duct because these cells have receptors. The light cells will have receptors for them. So once they bind to the cells, epithelial cells, then the aquaporins will open and the water is being reabsorbed. So that is the main function of collecting, tubule, collecting duct, right? reabsorption of water. So now what happens if these receptors are not present in the duct? Water will not be reabsorbed and therefore there is large amount of urine that is being passed. Okay, so normally if you pass 1 to 1.5 liters of urine per day, these patients who do not have receptors for ADH will pass about 10 liters of urine per day. Right? So that is going to cause a lot of dehydration, isn't it? So in this patient. So here is a slide that shows two causes. One that I mentioned before is called nephrogenic diabetes insipidus. Means there is abundant loss of water because of absence of ADH receptors. So, and the next cause is central. Central is in the hypothalamus where the ADH is produced. So this is the area called a supraoptic nucleus. What do you mean by nucleus? Collection of nerve cell bodies and they will be synthesizing ADH here and they will travel along these axons and they are stored in the posterior pituitary and they are released. Okay? So if there is lack of ADH here, you call it the central diabetes insipidus. Right? What does insipid mean? Tasteless. So the urine is tasteless because it is in such large volume and hardly much sodium is dilute, diluted. Whereas what is diabetes mellitus? Mellitus means sweet, like honey. So you call it diabetes mellitus, increased sugar in the blood. And here we have insipid means tasteless urine, okay, in this case. So those are, sorry, yeah, central cause that is here and the nephrogenic cause when the receptors are absent, okay. So those are some correlates we have seen. And this is just bringing together all those conditions we have seen. And as I mentioned, you might see about 25 different conditions affecting just the renal corpuscle alone, okay? And I've added some more slides for additional reading if you're interested, all right? So we know the causes for edema, hypertension, and hematuria, okay? Thank you so much for your patience. I'll see you at the IMCQ. Thanks.